Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Lord, just add your blessing to the reading and the proclamation and explanation of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 10, And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God. And he healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about, and lodge and get victuals, which is food, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For they were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them in break, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled, and there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. I want to talk to you today about what it means to be commissioned by Jesus. Commissioned by Jesus. Now we're going to talk, begin talking today about the God of impossibilities. First of all, the Bible said here in, in Luke chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 that the disciples were commissioned by Jesus to go out to share things pertaining to the kingdom of God, to heal the sick and to cure diseases and to cast out devils. And the Bible said Jesus sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So in verse number 10, they're coming back. They're coming back with testimonies of everything that happened while they went out on this commission from Jesus. There's several people that's gathered there. They're hearing what's going on. And you've got the disciples testifying and talking about what's happening and what's going on. And so then the Bible said the crowd gets together and Jesus does what Jesus does. He just starts healing sick people and talking to the crowd about the kingdom of God. That was what Jesus did. That was the mission of Jesus' life, was to come and teach things pertaining to the kingdom of God and to establish the church in the earth. So the Bible says that the evening time begins to draw near. They're in a desert place. They're kind of in a remote place. The NIV says they were in a remote place. And Jesus looks at the disciples and He says to the disciples, Give them something to eat. And the disciples look at Jesus and they said, We don't have anything here but five loaves and two fishes unless we go into the city and buy for all of these people. Well, Jesus basically said, Well, just go ahead and, and let's get them to sit down. So Jesus looked at the disciples. Now I want you to get a picture of this, okay? The disciples were probably tired. They had been testifying. They had been teaching things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus had been healing the sick. Jesus had been speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then, and, and, and there's this great big crowd, 5,000 men. One place in Scripture, the Bible said, besides women and children. So there's a possibility there could have been as many as fifteen or 20,000 people there. 
I mean, if every man was married, there's a wife. If they just had two kids apiece, that's 20,000 people right there. So there's a, an enormous amount of people there. And Jesus looks at them, the disciples, and He says, Give them something to eat. Have you ever felt like God asked you to do something that was totally impossible? I mean, for me, I would have been like, Jesus. <laughs> 15,000 people, 20,000 people. If we had the food, do you know how long it takes to organize a dinner this size? And all the dinner organizers said, Amen. And so the disciples looked at Jesus and they said, well, we don't have anything but five loaves and two fishes. How many of you know the old cliche, little is much when God is in it? Jesus looked at them and he said, tell them to set down in companies of 50. Now, I don't want to be remiss and pass over this point. There is power in divine order. And so what Jesus was doing was teaching them how to set them down in companies of 50 to, for the purpose of establishing order. If you look at the life of Jesus, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, if you look at how the church was structured, the Bible said holy men of God wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost and they structured the church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for what? The perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edification of the body of Christ. So you see that there is a divine order and there's a divine structure in that. If you look at creation, you see structure, you see order. On the first day, something happened. On the second day, something else happened that built on what happened on the first day. On the third day, something else happened, and you get the picture. Until on the seventh day, God said, that looks good. But there was an order, there was a structure. And so Jesus was teaching the disciples, I want to establish an order here. So have them set in companies of 50. Now you can't tell me that there were 5,000 men there and there weren't a few of them that said, I'm not sitting down. How do you know that, Pastor? Because there are men and all the women said, Amen. Amen. I mean, and so what happened to those that possibly did not set down? Well, they didn't receive the blessing. And here's the point that I want us to understand here, that I feel like God wants us to understand. If we want to receive the blessing of the Lord upon our lives, we have to surrender to the order that God has established in order to get that blessing to us. What kind of order would that be? Well, first of all, you got to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, you need to be in the Word of God. Third, you need to learn how to work your faith, how to operate your faith. Fourth, you need to just stay in love. Keep the love of God flowing in your heart and in your life because you're believing God for something and manifestation, faith works by love and manifestation comes because your faith is working. So, he had them sit down in companies of 50. Those who were obedient, they ate. Those who weren't, well, we don't know what happened, but they probably did not eat. Now, I think this is important for us to look at. Do you think the disciples were hungry? Do you think they were hungry? They probably were, weren't they? After all, they'd been there all day long like everyone else. And not only were they there all day long, they were active participants in what was going on. 
They were sharing the gospel. They were talking about miracles. They were testifying about what the Lord had done. They were assisting Jesus as he was praying for other people. They were helping other people. I mean, they were working the crowd. They were helping Jesus with the crowd. So they were probably really hungry. But Jesus did not tell the disciples to eat. Jesus told the disciples to distribute. Right? Do you think they were tempted to eat? Okay, I'm going to just be honest here. I think I would have been like, you know, somebody needs to do a little quality control here. <laughs> we got to make sure this fish is not spoiled. We have to make sure that the, that the bread's good, you know. I probably would have been like the quality control person, you know. But no, the Bible said God instructed them, set them in companies of 50, and then the Bible said when divine order was established, they were sitting in companies of 50, Jesus took the bread and the fish, and He blessed it and broke, and the Bible said the disciples distributed. Now, after the distribution and after everyone had ate, they took up baskets that remained. How many baskets did they take up? Twelve. The Bible says twelve. How many disciples were there? So they could have had a plate of food or they could have surrendered to God's divine order and had a whole basket full of food. What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to say. Don't eat your seed. Don't eat your seed. Obey the Lord. There's a time to sow. There's a time to water. There's a time to weed. Yes, there's a time to wait. And then there's a time to reap. I'm going to say that again. There's a time to sow. There's a time to water. There's a time to weed. There's a time to wait. And there's a time to to reap. So, you could either have momentary satisfaction or you should you could go home with a big old basketful and, and not just a basketful of food, but with a story of how that basket got filled with food. Hallelujah. Testifying about those things. Now here's the thing. There will always be enough harvest if you don't eat your seed. In order to get a harvest, you have to plant. And then you have to replant. To enjoy the fruits of our labor, we have to get involved in God's system. We have to get structured. We have to do what God says do, when God says do it, and that's called getting into God's system. Let me say this loud and clear. The Word will work if you work the Word. But you have to work the Word. Now, Harvest time comes after obedience. After obedience. Now what happened to the little boy? I'm sure he had a really good lunch. I mean, he gave his lunch to Jesus. Jesus, uh, Jesus blessed it. I'm sure he sat down in one of the companies of 50 and he probably had a better lunch than he would have ever had. He had a really good lunch. But for the little boy, this was the sowing season. It wasn't the harvest season. Now, I don't know what his harvest looked like, but something tells me that something happened to that boy later on and he didn't have to worry about anything for the rest of his life. 
because he was known as the little boy even 2,000 years later that gave his five loaves and two fish to Jesus. So here's the challenge that I want to give you today. Make up your mind right now, come what may, I'm going to obey God. If God tells me to pray, I'm going to pray. If God tells me to go somewhere and do something, that's exactly what I'm going to go. That's exactly what I'm going to do. If God speaks to me to give to a particular ministry, that's what I'm going to do. If God tells me to quit giving to a particular ministry, and that happens sometimes, that's what I'm going to do. Make up your mind. I am going to serve God. I'm going to obey God, whether people understand it, whether they don't, whether they agree with it, whether they don't. Even if my family doesn't understand it, I'm still going to obey God because there's going to come a time when they're going to look at me and they're going to say, how'd you get that? And I'm going to look at them and say, it's my harvest. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm living in the favor of God. Well, that just ain't fair. Well, baby, favor ain't fair. <laughs> I'm just living in favor. I'm living in the blessing of the Lord. I'm living in obedience to the Lord. When God says go, I say I, I go. When God says come here, I come here. When God says do this, I do it. When God says stop doing, I stop doing. You cannot achieve what you need to achieve for God by trying to figure out what to do next. Let me expand on that for just a few moments. Pastor Angelo was in my office yesterday and I hadn't seen him since he'd come back from Africa and he got back before we went to Jamaica but we were taking off and going to Jamaica so our paths hadn't crossed in like five or six weeks. And so he was there and, and so we were sitting down and I shared with him the, couple, the, the two books now that we've got published which got published. It took a while to write them but got published while he was gone and of course we're talking about you know that we're, I'm now the chancellor and the president of the Covenant Bible College and seminary and we have different affiliates in different parts, different states and parts of the world and how the God is expanding that ministry already and different things like that. And he looked at me and he said, how do you get it all done? And I looked at him, I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what I do know. I do know that almost every day I come over here when I'm home and I sit down in this, this chair right here at this desk and I say, okay, God, I don't know what to do next, so you tell me what to do. And I can promise you with everything that's in me, there are so many days that I can hear the Lord say, do this and then do this and then do this and then do this and I'll write it down. So that's what I'm going to be doing today. And as I go throughout the day, I'll say, God, what am I so that? I don't know how to do that. What do I do? And the Lord will say, call this person, do that, go online, check this, whatever. And I live, that's how I live. That's how I live. Everything that God has us doing is so much bigger than what one person could do on their own. And it takes supernatural, divine intervention and direction in order to get done what we get done. That's called the Spirit-led life. If, and here's the point I'm trying to make. If you will let Him, God will lead you into divine order. God will help you live the Spirit-led life. But you have to make up your mind, I'm going to do it if He says do it. You can't say, 
I just don't want to do that. Well, if you do that, you're going to put a cog in the wheel. It's going to stop the flow. You have to say, God, I surrender. So then we go to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. Give me just a few more minutes. We've been going about 15 minutes here. Give me a few more minutes. So Jesus looks at the disciples privately. After all of this, Jesus looks at them and he says, Who do these crowds say that I am? And the disciples look at Jesus and they said, Well, there's varying opinions on who you are. Some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're John the Baptist that's returned from the dead. You know, some of them actually believe that you're the Messiah. And so they have this little conversation. I think it's striking that after all of the teaching and all of the visible miracles and all of the things that was going on, that the, that the crowd was still wondering who Jesus was. That just goes to show you that it takes divine revelation from heaven for us to see Him for who He is. And let me just expand on that for just a little bit. It takes divine revelation from heaven for us to see ourselves as God sees us. We can see ourselves as failures. We can see ourselves as people that bumble things up. That's not how God sees us. God doesn't look at our history. He looks at our present situation and He designs us for our destiny. And so that's what God sees. And so they look at Jesus and, and they say, well, there's a lot of people that say that, you know, you're a, a prophet, that you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say you're the Messiah. Then Jesus looks at them privately and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're Christ. You're the Messiah. You're God's Messiah. You're Jesus. That's who you are. You are the Messiah. And Jesus looks at him in Matthew 16 and 17. And I flipped over to Matthew because I wanted to give those three verses, 17, 18, and 19. But it's the same story. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus says this. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's Peter. He said, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father which is in heaven. So in other words, you've seen the miracles. You've heard the teaching. You've even experienced the surge of the anointing flow through you as you minister to other people. But you know who I am because my heavenly Father revealed that to you. That's why when we talk to people that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we should tr quit trying to convince them that Jesus is who He says He is, and we should just pray for them that God will help them see Him for who that He is. So, in verse number 18, Matthew 16, in verse number 18, right after Jesus looked at Peter and he said, The heavenly Father has revealed this to you. Then Peter declared emphatically that he knew that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Right after that, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, let me say it like this. Declaration is the offspring of revelation, and revelation is the mother of formation. That sounds like a mouthful, I know, but I, I'm going to explain it. But declaration is the offspring of revelation. Peter declared that Jesus was indeed the Son of God because the Heavenly Father had revealed to him that that's who Jesus was. 
Okay? And so he declared it. He spoke it out. He spoke out the revelation of what he was seeing. And when he spoke out that revelation, Jesus heard what he was fishing for because Jesus needed something that would rise out of the spirit of someone who could declare in faith that he was indeed the Son of God because then Jesus could latch onto that and take it a little bit farther and form the church. Are you seeing that? So Jesus looks at him and he says, You're Peter and upon this rock, speaking of himself, the Bible says that the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the head of the corner. I'll build my church. And when we see the word church there, that's the first place in Scripture that we ever see the term church. That's the Greek word ecclesia, which means the assembly of called out ones. Later, Peter would say, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that God would show forth the praises of him who has, here's the terminology, called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is the church? The assembly of called out ones. What are we called out from? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're called out of a powerless life into a into a power-filled journey. We're called out of sickness into health. We're called out of poverty into prosperity. We're called out of despair and despondency into peace. That's what we're called to. Why? Because Jesus looked at Peter on the revelation of who he was and he said, you're Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Formation. Revelation. Declaration is the offspring of revelation and revelation is the mother of formation. So what Jesus was saying to Peter, you've received that revelation from my heavenly father. You've received it. Now what we're going to do is we're going to create an organism called the church that's going to be a living, breathing organism that's going to be able to house the power, the anointing, the teaching, everything that heaven has that we need to get into the earth. We're going to be able to pour it through the church. And so then he sets up a structure in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, ministries of helps, all of that manifestations and ministrations of the Spirit of God. He sets all of that structure up. And then he looks at Peter and he says, on this rock I'll build my church, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then the next verse he said, and I'm going to give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He wasn't talking to Peter telling him he'll give you the keys. He was talking to the church saying, I'm going to give you the keys. What's a key the symbol of? Authority. Authority. If I've got keys, I can unlock doors. If I've got keys, I can start a motorcycle. <laughs> Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Let me say it like this. There are times when we'll come over here to the church and there'll be people just milling around outside waiting for someone to show up with the keys. That'll preach. 
They're waiting on someone to show up with the keys. Why? Because the person that shows up with the keys, they have the authority to unlock the door and take them in. I want to tell you, church, you have the keys. You have the keys. You got a world standing out there behind you that needs Jesus. They're lost. They're undone. They're beaten. They're torn. And they're hanging around on the outside waiting on someone to show up with the keys. What are you going to do? Are you just going to join the crowd and hang out while you got the keys in your pocket? Or are you going to pull them keys out of your pocket and say, come on, let me take you on in to the presence of God. Let me take you on in to the glory of God. Let me show you things you've never seen before. Let me lead you to the foot of the cross. Let me lead you to the anointing where the power of God is. And when you get there, all of the sickness and all of the pain and all of the sin and all of the despondency and all of the despair will fall off of you because Calvary paid for your healing. Calvary paid for your deliverance. Calvary paid for it all. Let me take you in. Woo, there's a preach in this second service. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're Peter. I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to give you the authority of the kingdom because there's things in heaven that we need to get into the earth and there are things in the earth that needs a good hookup to heaven. So here's the keys, Peter. And you've got it because you allowed God to reveal to you that I'm the Messiah. Who is Jesus to you today? Woo! I'm going to ask you again. Who's Jesus to you today? Is He just a historical figure? Is He the figment of our imagination? Or is He Messiah? Who is He to you today? Who has God revealed Him to be to you today? Let me tell you something. He's your Savior. He's your healer. He's your deliverer. He's the Son of God. He's making you a Son of God. He's the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, but hell couldn't hold Him, and death couldn't hold Him. So He came forth out of hell with resurrection power and great glory. Who is Jesus to us today? Jesus is the intercessor that is seated between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible said that the purpose of His life, now when He was on the earth, He preached things pertaining to the kingdom of God, but now the Bible said He ever liveth to make intercession for you and I. So Jesus is intercessing to the Father, praying to the Father on our behalf. That's who He is. Who is Jesus to us today? He's the head of the church. The head of the church. That means that whatever we need, He's already thought of it. However we need to do things, He's already thought of it. And all we have to do is to respond to what the head wants us to do. That's who Jesus is. Who is Jesus today? <laughs> who is He? He's the one that we wait for. Two men stood by in wide apparel and said, Why stand ye gazing into heaven for this same Jesus, which has gone away, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And now we wait for his appearing. 
We believe that he's coming in power and great glory. Our eyes are on the eastern skies because we believe what the scripture says, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet him in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the Bible said, comfort one another with these words. Look at your neighbor right now and say, rapture ready. Come on, tell them. Come on, shout it again. Rapture ready. Hallelujah. Rapture ready. So then we go to Luke chapter 9. So we see where Jesus challenged them to do something totally impossible. Then we see where Jesus had a private conversation with them and he revealed himself to them that he was indeed the Messiah and formed the church. And then in Luke 9, 22, Jesus looks at them and he said, The Son of Man must, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he prophesied about his death and his burial and his resurrection. Then we go to verse number 23, and we read verses 23 through 27. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Somebody say Daily. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and loses himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see. Somebody say, see, see. the kingdom of God. So Jesus challenges him to do something totally impossible. He demonstrates to them the power of divine order and the blessing of the Lord. He has a private conversation with them about revelation, the revelation of who He is. And now the time has come for Jesus to challenge them to follow Him. And He looks at them and He says, You know, I'm going to be suffered many things. I'm going to be rejected by elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. And they're probably looking around thinking, my goodness, we just saw you feed 15,000 people. We saw miracles, all kinds of things. And you're telling us that people are going to reject us? Yeah, absolutely. And then he goes on and he says, and, and, and I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'm going to raise again. So then he looks at them and he says, he says to them, if any of you will come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now listen, in order to be an effective disciple of Jesus, you have to have the want to. You hear me? You gotta have the want to. What is a disciple? A, a disciple is a fully developing and devoted follower of Jesus Christ. A fully devoted and developing follower of Jesus Christ. That is the definition of a disciple. And sometimes that means that we have to deny ourselves every single day. There are things we have to lay down every single day. 
The Bible says, and it goes on, and it says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and loses himself, or he's cast away? So what does this mean? What is it talking about when it talks about saving life and losing life? And what do, what's a man advantaged if he gains the whole world? What Jesus is saying is there's going to be things that you're going to need to turn loose of so you can get a hold of God. There are things in your life. In other words, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a fully devoted and developing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are things that you're going to have to turn loose of as you go along so you can grab hold of what I've prepared for you. Right? Now, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Angelo to come up here and help me out again. All right? So put this in your hands. There you are. Okay. So Angelo has those glasses in his hands. I have this microphone in my hand right here. I want to give this microphone to Pastor Angelo. So I say, here, Pastor Angelo, take this microphone. He can't take it. Why? Because he's hanging on to something else. Okay. What if he opens his hand? Go ahead. Now his hand's open. Here, I want you to have that. He has the ability to receive it. What are you hanging on to that you need to turn loose so you can receive what God has for you? Okay. You say, Pastor, I don't like the direction that this message has all of a sudden turned. <laughs> I love you, I know. But it's true. It's true. Attitudes, control. You'll never be all God wants you to be as long as you're trying to control everything. God, turn it loose and surrender to the will of the Father. Now, I didn't say surrender to other people in their whims. I'm talking about surrender to the will of the Father. See, what are you hanging on to that you need to turn loose? What has God prepared for me? that I've missed through the years because I was trying to hang on to what I, uh, that I had. And that's what this passage of Scripture means when the Bible says right here, whosoever will save his life will lose it. Will lose it. If I don't receive from God what I need to receive from God, then I'm not going to be equipped to do what I need to do in the next season that God has called me into. So what happens? I get stuck where I am. You see that? As God grows you, as God expands you, as you become a fully devoted and developing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you become a disciple, then it's give and take. You grow in God. God will give you something, and you'll be hanging on to that, and you'll say, I got that from God. Oh, praise God, oh, praise God. And God's going to say, you know, I want to take you just a little bit higher. Why don't you just go ahead and pass that to someone else and bless them with that so I can bless you with something even better. Oh, but God, you gave this to me. I'm not going to bless. No, oh, no, no, no. I, I rebuke that in the name of God gave this to me. I rebuke you, devil. And it's not the devil. It's God trying to position you to receive something greater. And so you bless with what was given to you, what you were blessed with.
And so you pass it on, and then you stand in the presence of God, and God says, your hands are open. Oh, look, 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 Heavenly Father. Look, Father, because He's the intercessor. See, He's the intercessor. Jesus is the intercessor. Look, Father, their hands are open. Their hands are open. What we go give them this time? And you're like, whoa, God, I don't think I can handle this college. Whoa, God, I, can, I don't think I can handle this. Oh, Lord, you're expanding my business again? There's absolutely no way. Good, that means it's God. That means it's God. If what is in your hand is manageable by you alone, it's probably not God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm trying to encourage you to step on out a little bit farther. I'm trying to use wisdom, but I'm trying to encourage you to step out a little bit farther, to get out there in deeper waters, to experience things that you've never seen. You know, you can get in the waters over there in Jamaica. You can go out and you can wade around in the water. I don't do it very much because I don't like the sun. I don't like burning. But you get in the waters and you can look around and you can see these little tiny fish. I mean, they're beautiful. They're nice little fish and stuff like that. It takes deeper water to see bigger fish. You get that? There are some things that are in the deep that, not, that cannot survive up by the shore. They don't, the shore doesn't have what it takes to sustain their life. There are times when God wants to take us. The Bible said deep calls unto deep. There are times when God wants to take us farther than we ever thought we could go to achieve more than we ever thought that we could achieve, to give Him more glory than we ever dreamed that we could ever give to Him, to reflect that glory back to Him. I want to encourage you this morning to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and whatever is in your hand that's holding you back from what you need from God, turn it loose. Position yourself to receive what you need from the Lord. Well, what will that look like, Pastor? And I'm closing. Here's what that looks like. You come to God and you say, Heavenly Father, you know what that person did to me way back, maybe a former spouse, maybe a bad business transaction in the past, something. Lord, what they did to me was so wrong but I'm tired of carrying it. And so I'm going to turn it loose. Lord, I, I completely forgive. Lord, I make myself available. And let me tell you from experience, I learned this a long time ago, way before I ever came to this church. No matter what you do for God, you're going to be fought. There are going to be people that's going to fight you. Okay? That's, gonna, that's just going to happen. Here's the technique that I learned so many years ago. You can get so busy working in partnership with God where you are to go to where you're going that you do not have time to focus on the coulda, woulda, shouldas. You just let it go. You just got to let it go. Listen, God wants to take you somewhere, but you can't go if you keep holding on to the past. Turn it loose. He's calling you to follow. You say, well, 
you know, that sounds good for today, but I don't know about tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow's Monday. We don't have church on Monday. And well, well you don't have to have church on Monday if you don't want to buy I have church every day of my life. I mean, I, I, I worship every single day. I just love the Lord and that's just the way I live. And I encourage you to do that. That's why I told you that. I encourage you to do that. But let me tell you something. That's why the Bible said, if anyone's going to come after me, he's got to take up his cross daily and follow me. But let me tell you something. You can't pick up a cross if you're already holding on to a grudge. You just feel the presence of God and go, you can't. You can't pick up your cross and do what you need to do for the Lord to represent. That's what it means, picking up the cross. It doesn't mean crucify yourself so much. It means to represent Him that day. You can't pick up your cross and carry it and represent Christ with the wrong spirit and the wrong attitude. It don't work. It don't work. Won't you just let it go? Just let it go. What good's it doing you? I know they hurt you. So what? Let it go. That's then. This is now. Pick up your cross every day. Well, what happens when Tuesday or Wednesday gets here? Pick up your cross. Turn loose of whatever you have to turn loose of. Pick up that cross. Represent Jesus that day. See, when we're representing Him, that means we're representing compassion. We're representing love. We're ambassadors of heaven. We're walking in authority and in power because we're the church. You know, the organism Jesus created at the revelation of Him as the Messiah through the words of Peter, we are what was formed. We're the church. We're the vehicle God uses to pour everything into the earth that the earth needs from heaven. I don't want to hinder the flow. I don't want to stop the flow. I want Him to pour His love through me. I want Him to pour His anointing through me. I want Him to pour His power through me. So every day, I'll lay down what I have to lay down. I'll forgive myself of my own shortcomings. And I'll say it's a new day. And I'll pick up that cross, follow Him. I want to encourage you to do that. Let's all stand. Now, here's what happens when that happens. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 27, verse 26, he called them to boldness. But verse 27, he said, I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. This is what happens when you lay down your life and take up the cross to follow Christ, you begin to see Jesus in a totally different way. And in 
Luke 9 and verse number 27, the Bible said, There are some standing here which will not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. He was speaking of Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what he was talking about. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, in the, in the New International Version, we see Pete, where Peter was talking about the day that they saw Jesus in a brand new way. Now understand, Peter, James, and John had seen Jesus. They had seen Him heal the sick and raise the dead and, and all of the miracles that Jesus did. They had also experienced His teaching, the greatest teacher that ever lived. They experienced it. They were conduits of God's power before the Holy Spirit came corporately into the earth. He commissioned them and gave them power and they went out and did those things. But then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, he talks about seeing Jesus in a totally different way. And he's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. <sighs> Majesty's kingship of His majesty. And then he said in verse 17, we watched Him. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And then in verse number 18, He said this, We ourselves heard this voice ourselves we heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain the mount of transfiguration when you say okay god i'm gonna let you be more i'm gonna let jesus be more than just my savior and my lord i'm gonna let him call the shots i'm gonna surrender to him I'm going to give Him Lordship of my entire life. I'll lay down everything I need to lay down every single day if I have to. I'll pick up the cross of Christ. I'll represent Him on the earth. When you receive the revelation of who He is, then you will begin to see Him. When you start walking that way, oh, I... Mm, when you start walking that way with Him, then you will see His majesty and experience His glory. Why? Because spiritually, God will take you to the sacred mountain. God will take you to the sacred mountain. What happens on the sacred mountain? You experience Him in His natural climate. Power majesty, glory, headship, Whew. angels, cherubims, presence of God everywhere. That's what happens when you say, I'll be more than a Christian. I'll be a disciple. I'll be a disciple.
Did you run out of things to say? No, it just got too holy for a moment to speak up here. I'm about there. I want you to know Him. As your pastor, I want you to know God. I want you to know Him. I want Him to be so precious to you, so important to you. I want Him to be priority number one in your life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one looking around, please, for just a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Him right now. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, just pray with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a Christian. I believe you're the Son of God. You died on Calvary for me. Today I receive you as my Savior and surrender to you as Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.